Welcome back to another episode of Caffeinated CX, where we talk CX and stuff, all in a hyper-caffeinated state. I'm David, your host, and with me today is Thomas Sealbinder. I think I pronounced that right. Am I right? You did. Yeah, you did. Okay. You're one of the rare ones. <laughs> oh, how do they usually say it? Like Sealbinder? Oh, you name it, they've said it. <laughs> oh, see, to me, it was like, it looks a lot like Steelbinder, which is actually like back in the day, like one of my friends had a, a dwarf character named Steelbinder uh, in World of Warcraft. So I was like, well, that's easy. All right. So. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I've heard them all. So yeah, you got it right. Yeah, perfect. Great to be on. All right. Uh, it's great to have you on. So been uh, looking forward to this for a while. And you reached out to me a while ago and finally got the time. So both of us. So I know you're like out traveling last couple of weeks, but Thomas, uh, before we kick off anything, tell us about yourself. Yeah, so I am the uh, head of product and customer success for a mortgage technology company called Model Match. We help um, mortgage lenders, organizations uh, recruit better, really, right? So we, we help them identify, you know, who they should be building relationships with. We're in an industry where... Um, you know, you have producers that have a transferable book of business. And so with that, you know, recruiting is not so much on the resume side, on the production side, it's, it's really on the passive side. And so, you know, um, you have to recruit as a passive recruiter, you have to reach out, you know, build connections, build relationships, and then ultimately attempt to, you know, um, <clears throat> convey your value prop enough to where you can onboard, you know, that person that, that meets whatever criteria you're looking for in a producer and ultimately onboard them to your organization. So we built a, we built a software platform that helps those companies that are focused in on recruiting and, and strategic growth, manage those relationships and, and identify those producers. That sounds cool. All right. So yeah. And uh, we'll leave uh, info down in the show notes section for, for all that. And yeah, that actually sounds pretty interesting. Um, and Thomas, what's your what's your background? Where did you come from? Yeah, so so my background's kind of my background is certainly um, in, interesting in the sense that you know I came from I started off as you know I was uh, fifteen and a half, sixteen years old, and I started off as a um, doing data entry, and so I first um, got hired on directly. When, you know, when I was in high school, I think I was a junior in high school at the time. And I was, you know, on the verge of, you know, dropping out of school, you know, school definitely, me and school didn't really uh, see eye to eye on too many different things. And, you know, I was in, you know, I was in, I was in a band and I think I had some different views of, you know, where I was going to go and what I was going to do. And I think school kind of at, at some level in my mind back then, school just kind of was in the way. And so throughout that process of, coming to the decision that I was going to drop out of high school and stuff like that, you know, there, there did come a time where it was kind of like, well, you got to make money somehow. And so what, you know, what, what are your plans on that? And I actually met, met a lady who, who um, had a son that owned a technology company. And that's really all I knew, right. Her son owned a technology company. She worked at the school. She was the discipline principal at the time. So I think I was probably in her office a few times and, and she, um, she said, hey, my son has a, you know, before you make a decision on, on where you're, what you're going to do, if you're going to drop out or not, why don't you go and talk to my son? And, um, you know, he, he always, uh, you know, he's known for hiring students from the school. And so maybe you should go talk to him and, you know, see what you can do there. And so I went in there 
again, I would think I was 15 and a half, 16 around that, that age, you know, and, and um, it was a data entry job. It was three hours a day out of um, after school, I would go into this office and, and this is um, back in Orange County and uh, I would sit there and I was back when you had, you know, you would sell your software at conferences, right? So you had these conferences all around, all around the United States and, and they would fill out these paper order forms. They would fill out these order forms on paper and they would ship the, from the, from the hotel, the conference, right? They would ship these back in this big box and I would sit at this computer that they gave me and I would sit there and they'd stack these big paper order forms on my desk. And I would sit there and just enter in these orders and these, you know, just create these customer accounts. And um, it was, a, it was, a, it was one of the first virtual telecom systems is what it was. And that, that was the business. And so we were creating these accounts for these small businesses that were looking to, you know, get a toll-free number. And, and um, that's, you know, there's a, there's a lot more to that to that story, but you know that's kind of how I started was just three hours a day after school. I got out of school at uh, one o'clock, and then I would work till you know four thirty or five, entering these orders, and that's how I got introduced to this concept. You know, this this thing called the call center, right? Yeah. Because you know where I sat was my desk was on the floor. I mean, I sat on the floor and all of these people around me were the, you know, customer service, you know, representatives and, and billing people and, and marketing people. And, and so I kind of sat in the middle um, of this floor, having absolutely no idea what I was doing sitting there. But I got to listen to these people all day, talk on the phone and, and, and communicate and engage with, uh, with our customers. They'll write these same customers that I'm creating these accounts for. So I had to create these accounts and then I would be hearing these people talk to, talk to these new accounts, getting, you know, getting started or whatever and or taking their questions or inbound calls. So it's a high, it was a very high volume inbound outbound call center. Um, and that's, that's, I mean, that's how I got started. That's how I got introduced to, to the call center was sitting yeah. and, and doing data entry. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And uh, yeah, you got to uh, see the fruits of your labor right there too. <laughs> data entry. That's awesome. So, yeah. um, so you, you mentioned that during that time you were in a band, uh, what was the name of the band and what kind of music did you guys play? Yeah. So, you know, I grew up, I grew up in Orange County, California. So I grew up, you know, as a, as a, as a young one, I, I got started in the punk rock scene uh, mm -hmm. at a very early age. And I think, you know, that's kind of so, somewhat normal. I think when you're living in Orange County and, you know, the music scene, there is all different types of music, but the punk rock scene is, is certainly um, a large one. And so, you know, I, I, what I think I got exposed to, to punk rock when I was probably 10 or 11 and, I was at my first show when I was 12, um, started, you know, the band when we were called prod, we were called products. We dropped off the, the, we were called products, but we, um, we got, uh, we started that up. I think when I was 13 or so, 13 or 14, after I went to, you know, one of my first shows, um, you know, I think if, if you, if you've grown up in, in punk rock at an early age, you kind of go to these, these shows and, you kind of look at what other people are doing and you kind of think you could do that yourself. Right. It's not yeah. like the bar, the bar isn't really that high. Right. And so you kind of, you kind of think you could do that yourself. And so at a very early age, um, some, some of, uh, some of the, you know, the buddies that I was hanging out with, we were all kind of exposed, I think at the same time. 
And so we, um, we decided that's what we were going to do. And, um, and so I, you know, I, when I first discovered the, the punk rock scene, if you will, um, I just, I jumped in head first, you know, and it became, yeah. it became my life, I think overnight. And I was yeah. just infatuated with it. No, that's, that, that speaks to me on so many different levels. It's, uh, our stories are fairly similar, at least from, um, starting our careers and, you know, getting into the punk scene at around the same ages. Um, so I myself got into punk rock through my uncle and through a couple older kids at like school, um, you know, giving me like Misfits cassettes, Sex Pistols, things like that. And yeah, I dove in. Um, I had the Mohawk and everything by the time I was 15. <laughs> so um, and the patches, spikes, everything else. Um, yeah. More of a street punk vibe rather than like the Orange County, like offspring. Right. So I was, yeah. I was on the East coast. So Mohawk spikes, everything else was the rage, uh, especially back when the casualties and uh, bands like that were just becoming popular before the uh, falling out they had for reasons. And even the call yeah. center thing, I started when I was like 16, 17. So, and then just took off from there. So, yeah, you, it's it's interesting, you know, I think growing up, especially in the Southern California scene, you you know, you obviously have the, the history of punk rock is, is, you know, incredibly rooted in Southern California. You know, you have a lot of your big bands that come, that came out of there, you, you know, your Black Flag, your Descendants and TSOL mm -hmm. and DI and, you know, so on and so forth. But I think what what really exposed me was the, the difference in people. Right. You had. Yeah people that came from all different types of walk of life, whether they were one step away from the street or whether they came from a decent neighborhood um, or whether they had a Mohawk or they didn't have a Mohawk, it really didn't matter. And I think as a kid growing up um, in Southern California, that was, that was appealing, right? That was, um, you had so many different types of people that were, you know, in this big melting pot, if you will, coming together. Yeah. And it was, it, yeah, it was cool. So yeah, very, very similar stories for sure. And it's kind of funny because I think a lot of people share that same story. It's just not something that's talked about very much, especially right. in the more professional world, but it's, it's more common, I think, than you think, you know, so. No, it's uh, 100%. I think it's, I think it's more common than any other background, honestly, like the amount of people that I've been talking to that like, were like, oh, that's a really cool aesthetic that you have. And like uh, a lot of SDRs, I've been talking to that, like, you know, sometimes mm -hmm. won't leave me alone. Um, but you know, I love them. <laughs> sure, um, sure. But yeah. yeah, like um a lot of them were into into punk. In fact, one was sending me like old band videos and things like that. And it was like, that's awesome. Super it's like cool. it's yeah. like the the more people that are vocal, especially about their passions like that, I think it's gonna be for the for the best. And it's just cool to swap stories about local scenes and you know, local shows they went to when they were growing up, stuff like that, because the similarities even on those shows are amazing. Like, I, I mean, like, take the Universalist uh, church um, shows that pretty much yeah. nationwide. So, right. right. It's like, uh, and then, of course, with the punk rock scene, not only is it like really good music and like a pretty inclusive scene with a few outliers that, you know, were gatekeeping and stuff but pretty inclusive but there's also like a it's also like a different mindset um it's most people are pull themselves up by the bootstraps um 
a lot of uh, do-it-yourself things like DIY. You you hear you hear some music. You're like, oh, I could do that. You start a band. You start playing around, and then you go from there. And now has that has that from the from your background influenced the way that you work, the way that you uh, build your career, anything like that? You know, the more as the older I get and the more that I look back on those times, um, I was definitely a much different person back then, you know, than I am today. I'm probably much more calmer, probably less angrier, maybe. But, you know, I think that I think there's a a major connection to that. And you mentioned, you know, like the the do it yourself, you know, mentality, you know. Um, Yeah, I think that when, you know, you kind of come when you grow up in a scene like that, especially at such a young age, right, where you're exposed to all different types of things, but probably more adult themed, right? Like you kind of grow right. up really quickly and, and you go to these shows and, and yeah. um, you know, you're kind of on your own and more independent. That correlates directly with when you start, especially, which is kind of funny to say, but more in the startup technology world, um, call mm-hmm. center, contact center, you know, customer experience engagement, because all of that forced you and you, you could walk into a show and stand in the corner. You mm-hmm. absolutely could do that, but that, that wasn't any fun, right? You, you engaged, you made friends, you, you were in bands, you were putting on your own shows, you were making your own flyers, you were making your own t-shirts, you were trying to do everything yourself because at the end of the day, whether it's because of your age or just because of your financial situation, you didn't have any money to do any of that, right? It wasn't like, it wasn't like we made this band and we thought, oh, we're going to be on the radio and we're going to have this record deal. And we, we, we didn't, we probably didn't even want any of that, right? We wanted to do everything ourselves. And so when I, you, you kind of come from this somewhat um, unstructured world, right? Of sort of chaotic at times, everything's done itself. Everything's super scrappy. Everything is, you know, we're going to make do with what we have. And then you, you come into this very structured, well, what appears to be very structured world of this corp- corporate life, if you will. And those two things, you know, you watch movies or documentaries or whatever, and they kind of don't ever make that connection. They actually separate the two. You, you have this music scene that is very anti-corporate, you know, very anti-structure, very anti-authority, if you will. But then you go into this world where it's the complete difference. But the connection there is the fact that for, for those of us who have, I think, um, gone into the professional, quote unquote, professional world, um, and, and thrived in that, uh, you can look back and you can say, it was because of all those things that I had to do on our own with, with, with no guidance, with no, there was no one there telling us like, Hey, that's not how you do this. It was, Oh my gosh, you're doing this. You're the only one that we know doing this. You should continue to do this. Right. And so you had this, um, I would almost say, startup mentality in this music scene that translates you know perfectly into the professional world i found that when i started to work in more you know of the startup kind of realm of of um, we're, we're trying to build this company what do we have to do and in that world you have to be super scrappy you have to move very very quickly i was doing that at 14 15 years old when we were trying to reach out to you know to uh, to bookers right trying to get a show and we were kind of like mm-hmm being super scrappy about it. Like, Hey, we have this band and oh, we're so big and we're going to have all these people come to our show. Right. And it's going to be so great. So let us play on Friday night. 
at these clubs, these little clubs that we would play in. And, you know, we were acting bigger than we were and, and we were trying to, you know, grow that translates a hundred percent into the, into the professional world. You know, you have to, you have to move quickly. You have to pivot. You have to understand what did or did not work and, and be able to adapt to that. 100%. No, um, that's actually very, very insightful. And I hope that people take that to heart because yeah, it being in the punk rock scene or hardcore scene or any of those like outlier non quote unquote mainstream bands it preps you for the startup world it 100 because it's the same overall concept um you have to do your own marketing you have to do your own you know building everything by yourselves and that's exactly especially if you are an band in the punk scene then yeah you had to do everything from making your own flyers to your own merch um i remember we used to just make patches with uh like just black pieces of cloth with those metallic sharpies and then yeah. sell them for like 25 50 cents you know just yeah that, yeah yeah you know, totally but, yeah and you know you had you know you had everything that kind of prepped you for you know the future you had you had acceptance on some level you had probably more rejection than you could ever imagine but it was that mentality, I think, that um, that kept you moving forward was, you know, I, I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And this is how we're going to do it. And um, if it works, great. If it doesn't work, it's OK. We're still here. So yeah. it was it was. Yeah, for sure. I think there's a major connection to, to those worlds, which, you know, unfortunately, I think it's overlooked sometimes. Oh, definitely. Definitely. But then then again, if you're growing up in the punk scene, you're kind of sort of used to being overlooked at times like the other kids in school or anything like that or at least that's the perception while you're in it you know um so oh for sure yeah i always used to say you know i had a lot of friends but i had no friends right you yeah. have you know you're you have this um you need it's in less or less when i was growing up because you know i'm not i'm not that old but you know less than when i was growing up but yeah i mean being a punk rocker is not like you know you're not you're not cool, right? You're yeah. not like the, you're not, you're not the football star. You're not the, mm -hmm. uh, you know, whatever. And so, yeah, absolutely. That, yeah, yeah, totally. So no, it's uh, yeah, I, I went to high school back in the nineties, right. The mid to late nineties and like, yeah, no, we, we had all the clicks and then we had the anti-click click, which right, was right. what I was in. And it was like the punks, the goths, uh, a couple of, uh, of the sharp uh, skinheads, stuff like mm -hmm. that. And, right. you know, right. and when, you know, we get singled out and especially when like something like Columbine happened, right? So sure. then, you know, even over on the East Coast, you know, we got uh, each one of us and only us got called into like the Dean's office just to talk, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, we're probably the most peaceful kids here, but that's sure. fine. Yeah. <laughs> Right, so right and they even, yeah they, they even brought yeah. like the straight edge hardcore kids in and was just like <laughs> the straight edge hardcore kids yeah exactly right it's like yeah definitely nothing's gonna happen here um but you know you yeah you we had you know back in back in high school i mean we had our our t-shirts were banned you 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 weren't allowed to wear it was a rule you weren't allowed to wear our band t-shirts or our um buttons or patches um oh. To, to school right and so you know you you might uh 
be the outcast, you know, in in school or whatever. But yeah, it was kind of, it is kind of funny to talk about those, you know, different kind of clicks that you had in, in terms of the anti-click click, right? But at the end of the day, I think that's what, uh, it's more of a community aspect, which is yeah. ironic because everything in the technology, you know, when we talk about technology, everything is community-based. And so when mm-hmm. we talk about build, building communities, you know, uh, we come from a scene where if you didn't participate or if you didn't, if you didn't really join a community or if you weren't a part of a group in that sense, I mean, yeah, you could have been on your own and stuff like that, but you, you really look towards those people who had the same mindset that you did and you were working towards a greater goal, whether it be making music or going to shows and being with other people and, you know, everything like that. So it's, I mean, it's it's crazy how how much that correlates together. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely, and it really preps you for a good career, which not many people think of at all when they think about like snot-nosed teenage punk rockers, you know. So, so like, yeah. which you know, that's the stereotype anyway, with the safety pin earrings and everything else, um, which I admit I had. So, but so what? what now what, what, what do you like when i lost my train of thought and no i'm not going to edit that out so that's fine um so currently what's your favorite band right now oh man that's a that's a really tough you know i've i've, I've yep. evolved you know i i yep. i've I definitely i was listening to phil collins before we jumped on this call mm-hmm. right yeah. Um, I, I've definitely evolved in that front. I'm more into the, you know, I was, I grew up with the LA hardcore, yeah. uh, Orange County hardcore. So I was you know, real fast. If it's three minutes, it's way too long. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, I, I couldn't tell you a favorite brand. I, I'm definitely into more of the yeah. orc core stuff, you know, more of the, uh, I live on the East coast now. So I think mm-hmm. I, I, I've not by intention, but I think I definitely listen to a lot more East coast bands. Red yep. City Radio is a big one. I definitely listen mm-hmm. to Red City. The new one that I that my wife just introduced me to called The Hunters, more melodic, more you know, but still fast. Um, yep. But you know, I always go back to you know, Descendants, CSOL, you know, all of the stuff that I grew up on. But if you were to ask me, you know, you asked me my favorite band, I I can't tell you, man. There's so many. Yeah. Pennywise would be a big one. That was a huge influence yep. for me as a kid. Um, yeah, I mean, I think. If you were to ask me who would be the most influential um, in my life, it would have to be more of like, you know, the Pennywise type bands mm-hmm. and, you know, stuff like that. Th- those bands I listened to, I p- probably wore out. Oh, my my age was not vinyl or cassette. It was definitely CD before mm-hmm. streaming, before Spotify, of course. But yep. <laughs> I, I definitely wore out some Penny. I, if, if you can wear out CDs, I definitely wore out some Pennywise CDs. That's oh yeah, sure. you can wear out CDs. Um, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, definitely, and that that's the cool thing because, like, yeah, a lot of us move on from the music and from the scene. Like, I tried listening to like Total Chaos a couple weeks ago, and I couldn't sure. get through like three songs. So I was like, you know, oh, it's man. funny. It's funny that you mentioned Total Chaos. We always had this running joke. So, you know, Total Chaos is from Pomona, California, which is not mm-hmm. which is not far from where I grew up, and. And even when we were going to shows, Pennywise, uh, sorry, Total Chaos would play shows every weekend. I mean, they are the most, I, still to this day, I would say they are the mm-hmm. most uh, to, tour, the hardcore touring band. We used to yeah. always have a joke. I've seen Total Chaos probably 
I don't know, 50 times on different bills and different, you know, different festivals and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. um, it's funny. Yeah, I was listening to Total Chaos the, the other day, you know, you, but yeah, it's, it, you, you do, you do evolve. Evolution in music is real for sure. As you get older, you get a little bit slower. Yeah, yeah no, hundred percent. Or you start getting into like fantasy metal about wizards and robots, but um, which guilty pleasure of mine, but um, yeah. Yeah. the thing is, you you grow out of some of the stuff, but that that mentality, that the roots never really go away, right? The whole do yourself spirit, the whole uh, I would say a lot of startups are pretty much anti-authority or anti-traditionalist, right? They don't have the traditional business structures. So, well, and most of the time, most of the time, right? When we're talking about a startup, you're I mean, for the, and this isn't true entirely, but, you know, for the most part, you're coming into an industry that you, you know, you, that you're trying to, I hate this word too, but, you know, you're kind of trying to disrupt a little bit, right? You're trying to right. start something new. And, and um, again, that goes right back to, you know, uh, where, where our roots are in, in that scene. And so, yeah, you know, absolutely. I don't think if, if you create, if you build a startup and you are welcomed with, you know, open arms, you're, you're probably not doing enough. Right. right. Cause you got to change, you got to change up. I mean, I don't care if you're in technology, I don't care if you're in services, like, you know, a hard service. Like I think, mm-hmm. you know, if we're talking about like, you know, plumbing or construction yeah. or you know, whatever you're, you might be in, um, all of those industries need to change over time. And so, yeah, I think that that's, that's absolutely true for sure. Definitely. So awesome. I'm glad that we agree. All right. So um, (laughs) what do you see for the future of uh, call centers, of customer experience, of all that field, all that industry? I mean, right now, the economy, eh, whatever, Um, about 8.6% inflation reported right now. Um, a lot of tech companies are doing layoffs, like cutting 10% of their staff. Uh, right. Do you see do you see a recovery in sight? Or what do you just generally see with the future of the industry right now? You know, I can I can only speak on the industry that, that I think I'm in. I right. think if, if I were to look at overall, um, you know, I'm in the mortgage industry. So we deal with, you know, real estate. And, and obviously, mm-hmm. you have mortgage companies that are that are laying off as well. They're absolutely not immune to that. And and you see the layoffs that are happening um, across the board. If I were to say, you know, where I think we're going, I think the last two years, you had a lot of money that was being injected, um, you know, into our, and I don't pretend to be some sort of like economist for sure, but absolutely not. And I'm not the smartest guy in the room when it comes to that, nor, nor should I ever be. But I think that you had a lot of money that was being, uh, you know, kind of tossed around. And so you have a lot of companies that got very, very bloated that, that went on hiring sprees that, that hired a lot. And now that things are starting to scale back and, and no matter what the reason may be, whether it be inflation, whether it be that think people think their, you know, their real estate or their company is worth more than it is, no matter what it is that that scale back allows you as a company, if you're in the position to do so to seize the opportunity, right? And I, I made a post about this not long ago, just a couple of days ago, I think, about being able to push forward, right? Because as some of these companies, these larger companies 
that grew, I mean, to incredible numbers in, in these last couple of years since COVID, um, their market share will begin to dwindle. And so as their market share begin, begins to dwindle, it doesn't mean that you suddenly lose market share. It means that you have the opportunity now um, to, gain, to gain a foothold on that and to increase your market share. If you're able to push forward, you should absolutely be thinking about how you can do that, how you can stand out from the crowd, how you can seize some of those opportunities and how you can seize some of that market share um, and ultimately to become a stronger company, you know, in, in, in the long term. So um, I think even with, you know, everything that's happening right now, whether it be from the war perspective, gas prices at home, grocery prices at home, right? We all, we all feel that from a business perspective, um, it's absolutely the opportunity. Right now is the opportunity to, to stand out from the crowd um, from a call center perspective, support perspective, engagement perspective, engage with your customers more, try to become as, as aligned as you possibly can with what their goals are, what their milestones are, their expectations. I would say I came, I came, I grew up after data entry and all that. I graduated and I went into you know, customer support, inbound and outbound and all that sort of stuff. The Back then, it was kind of like there wasn't so many players in the game where your customer had your customer had very little, um, you know, options. It was just the name. It's just the name of the game. Your customer had very little options. And so you could probably be more lax on how you engage with them, how you speak to them, how you handle escalations or issues that are coming in. I don't think that's the case anymore. I think that there are so many, it's never been cheaper. Well, I shouldn't say that, maybe not right now, but definitely in the last couple of years, it's never been cheaper to start to start a business. And right. so um, you have a lot more, op- the customer has a lot more options out there. You mm-hmm. have to be very careful how you, um, you know, how you kind of weigh the waters a little bit, right? And so um engagement engagement on their level is key because the customer certainly holds a lot of power these days um, and you have to get aligned with that and i think those those companies that aren't aligned with that um again this is speaking very very broadly across all industries um they will suffer i think they will suffer the worst um yeah and so you can stand out from that and and just look at this from a positive perspective business-wise Let's push forward. Let's see what we can do to continue to grow and, and, and seize the market share that so many large corporations are losing right now. 100%. So it's like they say, when there's doom and gloom, you got to yeah. bloom. I like so, that. I like that comment you made. Yeah, for sure. And that's that sums it up perfectly. Yep, 100%. And now, now definitely, I mean, it's always time to push forward and to you know, keep moving on, but now especially. It's, you know, what, the one thing I would, the one thing I would add on to that, on the, you know, the doom and gloom and, and you got to bloom and the, and the call. And if we relate this back to uh, the call center and contact center and, and customer engagement organizations that don't, that don't value the people that they have today, those will be, you know, the, the companies I think too, that, uh, yeah. that start to feel that pain. I think you have to look to your employees that you have right now 
that are on your team and you have to start treating them as they're a part of the team. You have to really start to look and say, look, do we expand outward or do we look to our current core, you know, core people, if you will, right? Um, look to those core people and say, you know, do we take what, we, what we've been earning and share that and spread the love? I always say spread the love. Do, do you spread the love on that front? I think um, not only from a consumer perspective of options, from an employee in perspective, employees have options these days too. And so how yeah. you handle that as an organization is key. No, definitely. And to be honest, I'm getting really sick and tired of the call centers that have like a 40, 50, 60% turnover. And because 100% right. of how the agents are treated, there's no other reason. Like the pay is comparable to all the other call centers in, in their area. It's because it's usually one or two dollars anyway, right? But the way they're treated, if they're treated like numbers, period, or if the only time a manager or a supervisor talks to them is when something went wrong, it those businesses, especially now, are going to just die, right? Because mm -hmm. onboarding new people is more expensive than ever. It's the same thing when we talk about our consumers, whether you're business to consumer or your business to business, it's cost a lot of money to onboard a new account. It costs a lot of money to onboard a new employee. I think the days of churn and burner are long behind us. I think some companies are struggling to deal with that, but um, people are looking towards companies and they don't, incentives are a thing, but I don't think that's the most important thing anymore. You know, I don't think we want pizza parties and, and, um, and extravagant trips. And I mean, I, you could probably go down to, to even the lowest level in terms of like benefits that are offered. People want to work for a company that values them and that they can believe, you know, I posted, you know, the bouncing souls sing along forever. And I think that that, I, I, I listened to that song and I think, how do you correlate that back to business? And it's all about creating loyal employees but loyalty is a two-way street and so if you if you treat them right and like you said you don't treat them as a number you know you're going to benefit in the end because you're going to number one you're going to save all that money on having to onboard new employees hiring is harder than it has ever been even though there's a lot of people on the market hiring is still incredibly difficult um if you don't have a, a remote first model i think that poses um, that poses a challenge, right? People are yep. less likely to come into the office. And so, yeah, I think organizations and corporations have to look internally and say, Who, who's with me today and how do I keep them for tomorrow? Because the people that are with you today, they probably believe a little bit, just a little bit in, mm -hmm. in, what, your, in what your mission is. How do, you, how do you multiply that? And I think the organizations that figure that out they're going to be so much stronger in the, in the uh, you know, next couple of years to come because we could theorize all day what the next year looks like or what the next five years look like. But especially living in this country, I don't, I don't think that's necessarily at all possible. Um, so it, it'll be interesting for sure. No, hundred percent. No, that's, that's spot on. It's uh, yeah, that's uh, it's beautiful to hear. So, um, all right. So um Wrapping this up, do you have any um, words of advice to anybody just coming into this industry? Uh, it doesn't matter if they're from a punk rock background or country Western background or any background. Just what's the one thing that you could have told yourself at 15 when you first started data entry? Be 
um, work hard, be persistent. Money chasing is a thing. We all have to make money. Don't make that your priority. Find a company that you work for, that you believe in, you believe in the mission, find that company and do whatever it takes to, to get with that company. When you get with that company, give it everything you have, right? Um, it's just the same as, as me and you getting into punk rock, jump in head first um, and, uh, and do whatever it takes to, to continue to push forward over the overall mission. I think the, the biggest mistake a lot of people make is that they jump consistently um, from company to company. And that's a really a result of not finding the organization that you truly want to work for. So go out, find that company, be persistent. When you get that job, when you get that position, work as hard as you possibly can. But at the same time, I stress, and this is huge for burnout, especially in the call center contact environment. Burnout's a very real thing. Um, physically, mentally, it's huge. Uh, find the work-life balance. Find, and that's kind of cliche, but find the balance that works for you and find an organization that will support you um, in, that, uh, in that effort. So that would be, that would be my kind of uh, my go-to advice is, yep. is find that organization that you want to work for and, and just give it your all. That's awesome. That's really, really good advice. And I wish somebody had told me that advice when I was 17, first uh, call center, because, wow. <laughs> so that's awesome, man. So Thomas, thank you for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, David, it was, it was great talking with you. I really appreciate the time. And thanks for it. Thanks for having me on. I love what you're doing. I hope you continue what you're doing. And I, you know, I wish you all the best, buddy. Oh, thank you, man. Thank you. That's appreciated a lot. So all right, man. You have yourself a great day and all you listeners out there. Well, bye. <laughs>